0: Two, one. Never has there been a better time to be alive in human history. If you're not feeling it, you must discover why. Join Matthew Bolton in developing and applying a framework of objective optimism toward a flourishing life of meaning, health, and happiness. Here's your host, Matthew Bolton. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mr. Bright Side, and I'm Matthew Bolton. Today's show is an interview with guest Elizabeth Benton. Now, I've been excited to have Elizabeth on for a while because she's very much focused on mindset. And, of course, this show is all about mindset. Um, now, she's a nutrition expert, and she understands the hormonal theory of obesity uh, very well and explains it in really uh, powerful and w- ways that I can understand and it. have been very helpful to me. But she says that on her own podcast, it's about 30% hormones and 70% mindset. And she really has powerful ways of thinking and helping people and coaching people to help change their mindset, which is a, the most powerful tool in affecting positive change in your life. So uh, don't take it from me. You have to listen to her talk and you'll see why she is a very effective coach. Um, and then, of course, there's something more interesting, too. In the in the podcast, she recently experienced a tremendous loss. And you'll hear about that as we go in and experiencing deep grief, as are many people um around the world and in my home at Nova Scotia particularly but grief touches us all so we have a very um, good conversation about grief and I was um, I thought she had some very good insights into it and described it very well as she does so I think uh, there's lots in this interview for anybody and um, I really hope to turn a lot of people on to Elizabeth's work so uh, without further ado we'll just jump right into the interview. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome now to our interview. I'm joined by Elizabeth Benton. Elizabeth was depressed, deeply in debt, and obese. As a nutrition nutrition expert and educator who binged on junk food every time she put gas in her car, she felt like a fraud and a failure. Desperate to start her life, she decided to believe in her potential rather than her past. She lost 150 pounds, paid off $130,000, and remains debt-free as a successful entrepreneur. Today, Elizabeth is the owner of Primal Potential. Through her platform of podcasts, coaching, and live events, she has fueled her deepest struggles into a burning passion to help people create transformations and live more fulfilled lives. So thanks for coming on, Elizabeth. I'm so pleased to have you.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat.
0: All right. Now, I don't mind telling you that when you were first recommended to me, I was unaware of you, but I recognized immediately that uh, your... Uh, your story was something I had to talk about. So whether it was a nutrition or a transformation expert, just a lay person, I wanted to uncover the thinking that brought a person from there to here. Um, but then as I went into your work, I started, it, it was almost to like if I had known what what who you were, I would almost be to the point where I'd be stalking you to get you on. Um, I just went further along as I went into podcasts and some other things, including uh, your book here. Um, I just kept found, finding that you speak in my language, yet in a different voice, and it was obvious that this voice was had a lot of experience dealing with actual people and was shaped by that. Right? Whereas, and it, it, for example, in this book, I see this book as a big as a tool, not just a book of a bunch of good ideas. I think you see it as a tool too. It's like almost like a coach. So I'm just, I was just so excited. So I basically, I'm not going to go on now, but I wanted to establish why I really appreciate you having you on and really look forward to it. So thanks.
1: Well, I'm really excited and you're so right. Like I wanted it to be a book of tools. So I'm excited to dive into some of those with you.
0: Okay. And at the start of the book, it does say you'd better believe I consider writing my first book about hormones or fat loss. People flock to those kinds of books, but I don't believe we need more information. And then later in the book, it says your podcast is about 70% on mindset love it. And 30% on hormones and nutrition, recognizing that people don't lack knowledge, but the tools to consistently, consistently implement that knowledge. Can you tell us about that please?
1: Yeah. So for me, my weight was a struggle my whole life. I was the token fat kid in a thin family. And while I might've grown out of it, there was just a lot of judgment and drama. My mom felt like my weight was a reflection on her as a parent. And so food was restricted for me and only me in my home. And I just got bigger and bigger and more dysfunctional in my relationship with food. And I didn't lack that information. I had read every diet book. I started Weight Watchers when I was like nine years old. You know, I had all of the information, but what I realized is none of that was helping me in the moments where I would tell myself, I just don't care, or in the moments when I would say, I'll start tomorrow and I meant it. All of the excuses and the doubts and the delays and the exceptions and the feeling like I didn't believe in my ability to do it, none of the diets out there were helping me in those moments. And I just wanted to, to share the tools that I had to struggle to find, to struggle to create through trial and error in 30 years of depression and frustration. And, you know, they're, they're mindset tools.
0: Yes. Mindset tools. Mindset is what I'm all about here, right? I talk about objective optimism and it's really a mindset. It's also a process, but it's a mindset. Mm-hmm. And, so I'm all about mindset yet. I don't think the 30, 30% is negligible. And for me, I think that, um, while my framework had kind of led me to finding good ideas over years and leading myself to good health, I was still like battling cravings and stuff like that until about a couple of years ago when I was first introduced to the idea of hormones at all. I mean, I had never heard of the idea of insulin in the context of nutrition and diet. And I feel like how, and and I I talked to a lot of people, my friends and students, and, they also don't seem to know when they talk about diet. It's usually, oh well, I'm trying to eat less of this and I'm doing this, and it's just all about restriction and other things. And I feel like this information we are missing. Like, can and so I wouldn't mind. I don't. I don't need to do thirty percent, but I wouldn't mind if we might um, maybe cover the basic three, uh, the big three uh, hormones, maybe, and just maybe almost give an indication of why people should look into hormones and maybe explore more of your work in regard to that. Yeah. Rather than yeah.
1: So hormones first, I think people don't have a great understanding of, right? For most of us, and it was this way for me starting out, we think hormones, we think sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, the end, right? Maybe some people are thinking about cortisol, but generally speaking, we think, yeah, we think hormones and we think those sex hormones, hormones fundamentally are chemical messengers. Why does that matter? For for the non-science geek out there, why does that matter? Because... Everything that we expose ourselves to, everything that we consume is a message to our body. And all the information that travels, because every single thing, burn fat, store fat, trigger cravings, trigger hunger, suppress hunger, all of those things come from messages in the body. Our bodies are brilliant. They are so brilliant and they are designed to keep us healthy and alive. And so it's the hormones that are the chemical messengers basically telling us what to feel based on what we expose ourselves to. Sometimes what we expose ourselves to is a scary movie, and there is a hormonal response to that fear. Sometimes what we expose ourselves to is a bagel at 7 o'clock in the morning, and that sends certain messages within the body. So hormones indicate everything they they control everything that happens within the body whether we're talking about mood or we're talking about metabolism or we're talking about reproduction all of it is influenced by this interconnected network of hormones and the cool thing about them is they are a network and anything that's a network when you pull on one thing it impacts the others when you push on one side it impacts the other side and so when we talk about metabolism the most common hormone that gets talked about is the one you mentioned, which is insulin. But insulin is not in this silo operating totally on its own. Carbs drive insulin up, and when we have fewer carbs, insulin is lower. Insulin is part of this network. So when stress is really high, it also impacts insulin, right? When insulin is really high, it doesn't just impact our blood sugar, it also impacts our stress hormones and our adrenal hormones and our sex hormones. And the way that I actually came about this was with my own fertility issues. So I had been told when I was 16 years old that I probably would not get pregnant naturally because i had polycystic ovarian syndrome which is just cysts in your ovaries i was overweight they told me because of this estrogen issue that is called pcos polycystic ovarian syndrome and they just said you can't do anything about it and i didn't settle for that and what i learned is that certain vegetables help us to excrete excess estrogen in the body. And when we don't do that, it builds up and it causes all sorts of metabolic issues, including infertility and weight gain. So I started eating a lot more cruciferous vegetables, the broccoli, the Brussels sprouts, the cauliflower, the cabbage. And all of a sudden my menstrual cycle became normal for the first time in my whole life. And it wasn't until my late twenties, early thirties that I learned that. It also helped me become less sensitive to carbohydrates. I was one of those people that always said, like, I walk past a bagel and I gain weight, right? We've all (laughs) heard somebody who says that versus we all know somebody who can eat a box of pasta every day and is like stick thin.
0: Yes, I'm not that guy.
1: No, I'm not that girl. (laughs) I'm not that girl at all. But I just thought that that was a carb thing. It was a hormonal thing. And estrogen was impacting insulin. And insulin was impacting cortisol. And cortisol was impacting my thyroid. And all of these things are a network and food is information. So when we have that bagel at 7 a.m., yes, it drives insulin up but it also drives cortisol up and it also impacts estrogen, even if you're a guy. So I get really excited about that kind of stuff. We could go down a huge rabbit hole, but it's fascinating.
0: I know. And I don't want to go to the rabbit hole, but I could easily, I could do it for hours talking about this yeah. because I've been talking about it since I learned about it a couple of years to everybody. It's like, oh, it's hormones. You got to, and, and here, check this out. You got to read this and do this because um, it's not just that the success I've had with it, I really feel different in that I've been up and down over my life and I feel like now I'm never going back. It's just because my body is working with me. Now it used to be working against me. I was fighting cravings and having to use so many mindset tools to overcome. And my framework was more powerful, but my body was just saying, you know, that you're hungry and it doesn't say that anymore. It's like, uh, my leptin's talking to me now. And that's something I learned, learned from your formulation. I think the way you, the way you explain things has really um, helped me understand even more clearly. So what I thought I already knew. So um, speaking, how about this? I, I, there was an episode of Tips, tips, uh, tips of the Scale. That was, an, was that an older podcast? Does that still exist or is it a double? I don't podcast?
1: know if it still exists. I okay. was on there
0: eons ago. I don't know what they're doing now. Okay. So anyway, it was an episode of that and it was on paleo and winning the battle of mindset. And of course you were on talking about mindset, but um, I was curious when I saw the paleo, do you say that you follow paleo or how do you think about your diet and nutrition? If you were, and I mean, personally, how do you personally think about your diet and nutrition?
1: I keep it really simple. I'm a simple human, mostly real stuff. That's, you know, okay. mostly real food. So paleo tends to restrict the dairy and things like that. And I, I really love cheese. So I definitely don't fall into the the paleo camp primarily for that reason. Um, primal is a little bit more open in terms of, it, you know, dairy and that sort of stuff, which I do try to limit from an estrogen standpoint. But um, I try to eat a lot of vegetables. I'm vegetable forward first, always mostly cruciferous vegetables because of the estrogen impact, but also because they really fill me up. Leafy greens aren't going to do it for me. But if I have a plate of Brussels sprouts, I'm a happy kid. And I be you to know, feel satisfied for a long time, so mostly vegetables followed by whole food fats and protein, um, and then honestly, I like cupcakes. I like ice cream, and that is like an every once in a while kind of thing.
0: Okay, um, when when my friends ask me about you know my diet and what I do, uh, I talk a lot about the when as well as the what. And What about the mm-hmm. when for you? How important is that? Because I feel like that's the thing with the you know, regulating hormones.
1: Yeah, so this is an interesting time that you're asking me. I would say, generally speaking, I was not somebody to eat much in the morning because I'm just generally not hungry then. But then um, a moderate lunch and a larger dinner, mostly vegetables. Um, So not necessarily large from a calorie standpoint, but definitely large from a volume standpoint. The reason I say I'm in a little bit of a different place now I am about nine weeks postpartum, and so through my pregnancy, oh man, it was like food aversions up the wazoo, and uh, now fortunately, of course, those food aversions are gone, but I'm definitely eating earlier.
0: The future will be amazing,
1: and that's all well and good, but what about today? You can feel the rush of a 400-horsepower Nissan Z. Or climb to new heights in the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. Light up the road in the all-electric Nissan Aria that feels like a sci-fi dream come true. The future will be great, but today is made for thrill. All you have to do is get in a Nissan and drive. 2023 Aria and Z not yet available for purchase. Expected availability is this spring for 2023 Z and this fall for 2023 Aria. And I'm intending to incorporate that breakfast meal um, that is either some kind of smoothie Really light on any fruit. Like if I have some berries, it might be like a quarter of a cup. Um, I try to minimize or eliminate starch and sugar in the morning. Um, but I'm a little more flexible with that because I'm postpartum because fat loss isn't my goal right now, even though I'm certainly still over my pre-pregnancy weight. Um, but fat loss isn't my goal. Healing is my goal. So I tend to be a little bit more flexible with the the fruit sugars and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think the when is typically breakfast, very small lunch, more like a snack, leftover chicken in the fridge or something like that. And then dinner has remained the same. Very, very vegetable forward. Last night, I had a big bowl of shredded Brussels sprouts um, with some chicken thighs.
0: All right. Sounds good. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll move away from all that stuff as much as we could go down. We'll get into the mindset. Um, you you talk a lot about um, uh, excuses as stories, incomplete truths. Um, I had I heard one guy was on your show it was Jeremiah uh, something or rather and he, I think he was talking about coming back from addiction. And you asked him what was the most important factor in success, and then he he said honesty, and you were all excited. Honesty, yeah. And then you guys discussed what that means. Can you tell us what honesty means and why it's an important
1: thing? Yeah. So I think we are expert at giving ourselves just a convenient sliver of the truth that justifies and supports the decision we want to make. So, for example, you come home from work and you plan to have the salmon and the broccoli, but, you know, you've been so good all day and you're going to do really well tomorrow and you're really stressed out. Those things to you in that moment are true right? But they're permissive slices of the truth that get you exactly where you want to be, right? You're just making a case. You're not lying to yourself. You're making a case to justify the thing that you want, which is maybe to order pizza and not do the chicken and the broccoli in that moment. And those things are true. Maybe you have been great all day. Maybe you are really stressed out. Maybe you're going to totally nail it tomorrow, but you're not seeing the big picture, And I I say to people, if I had you come into my office right now, and I had you stand in the corner by the door, and I asked you, looking at the wall, what color is my office, you would tell me it's white. And you would be right. And I would know that you're wrong about the room, but to you, looking at just that single piece, you would argue, no, 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 it's absolutely, positively, unequivocally white. But the majority of my office is blue and we only can see that if we demand of ourselves stepping back and saying well what else is true i ask myself this all the time especially in like interpersonal relationships if i get irritated about something or somebody was insensitive or somebody was rude what else is true and when i'm thinking gosh i really want to have ice cream tonight well what else is true when i say you know i'll i'll do better tomorrow what else is true is that that hasn't ever worked for me and what I do tomorrow has nothing to do with what I choose tonight. So my, one of my big passions when I'm working with my clients is helping them in all situations be more honest because I think that it's one of these mindset upgrades that allows us to be a better thinker. And when you're a better thinker, when I'm a better thinker, that decision-making is so much easier. You referred to the fact that, you know, you know, you'll never go back because leptin's working with you, which means your hunger and your cravings are in control. And so you don't have to feel like you're fighting against yourself. Well, when you're a better thinker, it's the same way because those lower level thoughts, like, I don't even care. This one thing won't hurt. They're only true because you haven't upgraded your thinking yet to tell the whole truth and consider the whole story.
0: Right, consider the whole story. Yeah, I, the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Right, and, and, and so I call this, God. of yep. course, being <laughs> being objective. That's what I'm saying. It's objective. Yeah. It's it's looking at the full facts and not you know evading any of them. Um, yeah. It, in in this, there's this idea I want to talk about is self acceptance, right? And I have a hard time um, balancing this idea of self acceptance. I think sometimes it's it's elevated. It goes too far in the way that people maybe make a virtue out of whatever they happen to be. It's almost like mm-hmm. I can I can tell myself, well, wait a minute. I mean, I, I want something, but then I'm something else, and I say, well, you know, there's nothing really wrong with this. Why don't I just do that? And, and it's sometimes called loving yourself or something mm-hmm. like that. And and that's fine, but it's kind of a subjective versus objective. It's a subjectivism to me. And at the same time, you don't want to go too far the other way and beating yourself up and saying you're a big loser and all that, because then you're right. you're not likely to get out of it. So how do you tread this idea of self-acceptance, etc.? cetera? So. Yeah. You know,
1: I think that there's a couple tools I use here. One, self-acceptance and great choices are not mutually exclusive, right? Okay. So I can love myself exactly as I am above my pre-pregnancy weight and make choices to be in a body that I feel better about. It's not one or the other, right? Sometimes we think that if we accept ourselves as we are now, then we're not trying to change. And I don't see it that way at all. One thing that has set me free is Realizing that more often than not, the answer is both. Mm -hmm. The accepting ourselves part is really, really important. And the upgrading our choices, our patterns, our thoughts, our relationships is also important. I want to accept my romantic relationship for what it is right now. And also, I absolutely want to take steps today and every day to make it better. The other tool that I use for this that's huge is, is it working? Am I getting what I want? Because if I take this mindset of self-acceptance, self-love, come on, eat a cupcake. You're fine. You're beautiful the way you are. You've come so far, blah, blah, blah. Am I where I want to be? Am I getting what I want from this mentality? Or is it just permissive? And that comes back to the honesty piece. When I say, like, I'm fine as I am, and I'm not going to try to improve my health, There's something that doesn't sit well in that. I have to work hard for that narrative to kind of stay present. There's something in me that's fighting against that. And I think that's really telling. You know, if we keep coming back to it and we keep having, for me, I kept coming back to I'm not happy with my body. I kept coming back to, I want to be leaner. I want to be healthier. And these things that kind of stay with us as desires, we have to honor those. And we can own and love where we are right now and also love ourselves enough to do the work to change and upgrade.
0: Wow. I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff... I'm looking for, and and you've been giving, you've been feeding me everything I've been hearing in this book. And it's just, uh, I I think uh, this way of thinking is so um, powerful. Um, You ask a lot of questions to people. I saw you asking a few there. How do, and there's so many questions in the book. At the end of every chapter, there are are a series of questions. At the end, there's 200 questions you can ask yourself. And it's constantly seems questions. How is that a tool for you in dealing with clients and yourself?
1: So I really, my personal philosophy on any goal is that as long as I continue to become a better thinker, every area of my life is going to get better because every argument that I have with my partner, every business downturn that I have, or stupid mistake that I make in business, or period of time when I'm not prioritizing my health, it all comes from a level of thinking that just wasn't excellent. You know, it just wasn't great. So the easiest way I know to improve my thinking is to question my thoughts. Right. Okay. And a lot of times that's all it takes. You know, one of the questions that I ask myself in, in a romantic relationship setting is how is he right? Cause my default is to go to how he's wrong. And then we're just at an impasse because I think I'm right. And he thinks he's wrong. And so I just, the way that I practically speaking because this idea of becoming a better thinker is kind of amorphous and hard to really wrap your head around unless you just ask questions and i was telling one of my clients the other day i try to take everything i learn and turn it into a question even if it's as simple as how can i implement this right because otherwise I'll fall into the same trap that so many others do, which is like, I'm learning and I love what I'm learning and I don't know what to do with it. So whether that is learning something about uh, a particular dietary fat that I think is really cool and I want to incorporate it and I say, when and how, right? Or it's when I'm standing at the fridge and I'm saying, you know what, my weight is not my priority right now and I deserve to sit and eat a pint of ice cream. What does deserving have to do with ice cream? Like what? Okay. If you're saying you deserve it, what does that mean? Like I just force myself into a deeper level of thought. Maybe that's how you get to the better level of thought is just deeper. When I say I deserve pizza tonight, or I deserve it instead of why, because then we just go to justifying the base level of thought. I don't say, why do I deserve it? Well, because my life is hard right now, because I'm stressed out, because I ate clean for the last week. What exactly is it that I deserve? And in that situation, I might say, I deserve to relax a little. Okay. So is food the best way to relax? It's relaxing
0: equal ice cream. Yeah.
1: yeah, And is that even true? If I house this pint of ice cream, am I going to feel more relaxed after? Nope. I know from myself, I'm actually going to probably feel worse because I'm going to physically feel crappy and emotionally, I'm going to be like, that wasn't worth it. And I'm still stressed and tense and sad about the things that I'm stressed and tense and sad about. So questions for me are the most accessible, convenient, always available way of upgrading the way that I think.
0: Okay. And it sounds like it it seems to allow you to slow down, right? And not to make it- decisions emotionally. So that's what, that's what seems to be yeah. a big factor.
1: Well, so I recently renovated my house. I have a 1707 farmhouse on an orchard in Cape Cod, right? So yes. renovating a house from 1707 is a disaster. Um, and I was telling somebody in my family that I had this great idea for moving the bathroom from one side of the house to the other side. And he said, that's a good idea. Never go with your first good idea. And, I use that all the time with my thoughts. I try to never go with my first impulse, my first reaction. And what I tell myself is just allow a minute of time or sometimes five seconds of time for another thought to arrive. Oftentimes, it's just let this emotional wave crest and see what's there afterwards, right? Invite another thought, another idea, another option to the conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying, no, you can't have the ice cream. But as I'm standing here in tears, considering it, let me just let this wave pass a second and see what shows up. Let me invite reason. Let me invite stoicism. Let me invite my higher self to show up here. Like, let's just wait. Emotion showed up first. Hold on. Let's invite everything else.
0: Okay. Well, that's excellent. Um, I, I see a lot of reference to um, past, present, and future. I just want to explore maybe this idea briefly. Uh, I'll go with a broad question to keep us, uh, to see how it starts. What should our relationship be to the past, present, and future? And yeah. can you answer that or should I give you a lead here?
1: No, no. I get really excited, right. especially talking about the past, because I, poor Chris hears me recording voice notes to clients all the time, and this one he has memorized because i probably say it 50 times a day, don't use the past as your preface. Don't use the past as your preface. So if you think about a book, the preface is the part at the beginning that kind of sets the stage, gives the context, tells us what to expect. Mm -hmm. And I hear this from my clients all the time. I say, what's going on? What can I help you with? And they immediately go to the past and the problem. Well, you know, what happens is like I feel like I'm doing okay in the morning and by the end of the day, everything has fallen off and we're having this conversation at 11 a.m. Don't lead with the past. We don't have to bring yesterday into today. And when we do, we're basically saying that the way things have been is the way they still are. We are claiming them. And every repetition is a rehearsal. So for as many times as you say, I'm the kind of person who – Or let me explain to you the pattern from the past. So I always say we don't need to lead with the past to maximize the present. We don't have to lead with the problem to get to the solution. And then the same thing is kind of true with the future. I'm a big goal setter. I love vision and all of that. But too many people are giving too much energy to what is behind and what is in front and not enough to right now. I always say every choice is a chance. But if you miss it because you're freaked out about tomorrow or you're beating yourself about, about yesterday, you don't have as many opportunities to create change. So be where your feet are.
0: All right. Wow. Geez, I don't have to go any further on that. You nailed that one. I'm going to move into primal potential uh, itself as the thing. What is primal potential? And what is the primal? I think I got a hint earlier now what, what it is. But now, can you go ahead? Yeah,
1: you know, six years ago, it definitely referred to a way of eating and and pursuing your potential in a more in a more natural and a more holistic way now it doesn't really mean anything okay. <laughs> i mean i guess it still means that but it, it's i wish that i had like some like really great story i don't um what i you do got a great th- program I'm- so yeah. What I do through Primal, I have a podcast uh, that's been around for four to five years or so. We've got 800 some odd episodes. Um, I have my book, Chasing Cupcakes. I work with clients, but fundamentally now my work is really about just what we've been talking about, how practically day-to-day in the trenches. Do you upgrade your thinking? So it doesn't matter if your goal is to get out of debt. It doesn't matter if your goal is to lose 100 pounds, 7 pounds, or to run a marathon or improve your relationship. All of those dominoes will be knocked down when you make this one fundamental shift. I always say that becoming a better thinker, it's the thing that has the highest ROI. It is going to return so much more than just like cleaning up your diet.
0: Singing Elizabeth, please. I mean, this is the kind of stuff. I, you know, I, cleaning up your thinking. It's in the trenches day to day. I love that idea yeah. too. Um, who do you think? Who's who do you view as a candidate for primal potential? Mostly
1: anybody who feels frustrated with the changes they haven't yet made. You know, yes. and it really doesn't matter what change you want to make. I I mean, I have people that I work with who really want to improve their marriage. I'm not a relationship expert, right? Mm -hmm. Or who really want to start a business and I've done it, but I'm not an expert in helping other people do it. And I work with a lot of people who want to get healthy or stop binge eating or lose weight or whatever else it is. Anybody who feels like I know what to do, but I'm not doing it consistently, that is what we do.
0: Yeah. Yeah you're a mindset expert. So in a way you are an expert on those things. You can help people with those things. And that's what yeah. I think about too. It doesn't have to just be someone who's severely obese or depressed or something like that. I'm looking at people, like I say, I'm the audience for my show because yeah. I'm trying every day to, to keep improve my thinking and be, be sharper and be better so that i never, that I just keep growing is what I want and never to fall back. Right. So, um, I, I don't look at optimization myself when I say optimism. I don't just look at a, a full potential as, as like a finite thing that you have to reach and it looks like one thing. How do you uh, conceptualize potential? What does that mean? What does it look like to you your, to realize one's full potential?
1: You know, I the beautiful thing about it is I don't think we ever will because I think that it's kind of like, even though this isn't how he ever intended it, my former husband used to say, you never are satisfied. You you get close to a goal and you pick up the marker and you throw it further down the field and then you go chase that thing and then you pick it up and you throw it further down the field. And he kind of meant it as as criticism. But okay. I think that that's, yeah, I know. That's what potential is to me, the fact that we can always get better, that we create our results and so sometimes it starts as a journey to lose 30 pounds and it ends up you know with a journey of becoming debt free and starting a business or or launching a nonprofit there is no limit on your potential it's only limited by the effort and the time that you put into it so it's really about growth that's how I see it. Whether it is growth that is tied to money or growth that is tied to health or growth that is tied to the way you think or the way you interact with people, it is growth and growth has no limit.
0: Yeah, right. And I think we have to integrate all those things. Like you can pursue health, optimal health and get to there, but you've, what do you? always trade-offs. So there's no such thing that has to look like your potential, and it, yeah. every every aspect can keep growing. In yeah. that way, I, I wonder about you. You say you refer to transformate. You're a transformation expert. Transformation is now. That's excellent. Uh, why why this concept versus another concept? Transformation.
1: Because I think that oftentimes what people think they want is to lose weight or to pay off those student loans. But there's something under that. I was, I was interviewing somebody the other day who said people tell him all the time that they're afraid of public speaking. And he says to them, you're not afraid of public speaking. You're speaking to me in public right now. What you're afraid of is embarrassment. What you're afraid of is you know not meeting somebody's expectations. And you're afraid of vulnerability. And I think that the same thing is true when it comes to our goals. When I wanted to get out of debt. I thought that was the thing. What I really wanted was more peace and more security. You know, I thought I wanted to lose weight. What I really wanted was more confidence. And, and that, is, that is transformation. You know, I, I think that it's absolutely valid to pursue the goals that you have for yourself. But as you do, you start to see what it is that you really wanted.
0: Yeah. And actually I had a guest on uh, last week, Dane Maxwell was on, he talks about result and, and it sounds like you're trying to get deeper into the result uh, by asking better questions. almost like getting to the whole truth. That's totally really great. It's really, really excellent. So um, I guess um, let's see, I guess one more thing on this uh, on this honesty and, and harsh honesty, when you're dealing with clients, how do they deal with the idea? I mean, you've said it maybe not quite this, this way to them, but you say you are the problem. How do they deal with that? Or how do you sell that idea to people? That, that they I actually themselves? think
1: that's great news because if somebody else is the problem, you're stuck. But it's very empowering and it can take some time to get there. But nobody's really surprised by the fact that they're the problem. And everybody tends to be very encouraged, even if they doubt themselves. We work through building confidence and how that works and the time that it takes generally they get to the place where it's really encouraging that I am the problem and I am the solution. Because if, you know, if you are the problem and I am the solution, I can't control you.
0: Okay. And they, they take that pretty well then I suppose.
1: Most of the time.
0: I mean, that sounds like a, that sounds like a very inviting way to, uh, to, to look at yourself as the problem in that way. So. I,
1: and here's the thing. They don't yeah. have to believe me if they don't want to, that's Okay. Yes. Like, that's fine. You know, some people aren't there yet. And I work with a bunch of people who aren't there yet. And that's okay, because for most of my life, I wasn't there yet.
0: Right. Very good. All right. Well, uh, we could go on and on about all this stuff. I just so much on all of this stuff. I wonder if we might not shift gears a little bit. Um, you've recently experienced a tremendous loss and are dealing with grief. Um, you say you're in Cape Cod in Massachusetts. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm from Nova Scotia. I don't know if you're aware of the tragedy yeah. that occurred there. Um, the One of the biggest mass shootings in Canadian history. Um, I have family members who know victims personally. Um, obviously, I can't imagine what the families there are experiencing, uh, the friends and families of the victims. Uh, but I know that even the whole province as a whole is kind of experiencing some loss and grief, sense of grief. Um, I recently lost my own father in September. My family's been dealing with that. And so, and everybody is touched by loss and grief all the time. So I think by sharing stories, it can be very helpful. And especially with someone who thinks about things. So in, in such a good way, I wonder if you wouldn't mind, um, sharing your story, um, yeah. and, and maybe describing how your, your grief and how it exists in your life and how you view it.
1: Sure. And I told you, you know, before we started recording, you asked if we could go here and I said, yes. And I said, but no guarantees that I won't cry. Um,
0: do whatever whatever you like.
1: So I was so excited to welcome my first daughter, my first child into the world on March 6th. And um, she was gorgeous and beautiful and healthy and just the light of my life. And um, two short weeks later, she died very unexpectedly and Uh, there was about 36 hours between when we thought she might be slightly dehydrated and they were going to give her IV fluids to when she passed. It happened very quickly and very traumatically. And um, when you spend, you know, nine, 10 months anticipating this change in your life. And for me talking about it very publicly on my podcast and, um, then having her home for two weeks, I recorded her birth story on the podcast and, um, you know, we didn't, we, she was healthy. She was wonderful. And even when she started to not be as interested in feeding, they were like, oh, she's just a little dehydrated, got behind. We weren't worried about it. And then, um, she, she died a very traumatic death. And I will be the first person to say, I mean, as of when we were recording this, um, she's, it hasn't, it it hasn't even been a month and a half since she died. And uh, it's dark and I'm not in a good place and I'm not okay. But I'm also okay being not okay. You know, like the pain is the worst thing I never imagined, but I'm not trying to be okay. The number one tool that I'm using right now, aside from letting the grief be as big and as ugly as it needs to be, mm-hmm. is holding the standard for self-care, period. Whether I want to or not, because I'm not motivated to eat healthy right now. I'm not motivated to prioritize sleep or meditation or movement or anything like that. I'm just not. I'm My sole priority is is walking with this grief this awful awful pain but every day i ask myself what does impeccable self-care look like today yes and at first it was go to the mailbox go to the mailbox and drink water You know, like that, like I could focus on those things. They were tangible. They were clear. And, you know, now that we're just over a month out, I'm eat your vegetables, have vegetables at every meal and go for a walk. And people ask like, I don't know how you get motivated to do that. And I say, I'm not motivated to do that. Let's be really clear. I'm not motivated. I'm not driven to do it. It is a decision regardless of emotion because, you know, I'm sorry to hear that you lost your father. I lost my father in a car accident when I was in college. And that grieving process was a total train wreck. I mean, I just turned to all the things you shouldn't turn to and it made it worse. Yeah, like, okay. it's tough to make grief worse. I can't imagine anything making it worse. But I do know that things like food impact our ability to heal physically, mentally, and emotionally. And so there's 99.9% of this that I don't have control over, but I know that there is stress. Go back to what goes back to hormones, right? Mm -hmm. My stress response has been extremely high since the moment we realized she was sick and through food, I can start to buffer that and I can start to normalize my hormones and that helps everything. It helps my neurotransmitters or those feel good chemicals that even when you're deep in grief are really important in keeping you from, you know, locking yourself in a closet and not eating for a month. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm choosing that discipline. And I'm being very vocal about it for the sake of accountability, right? So that all of a sudden when I just drop off the face of the earth, somebody knows Elizabeth said she was going to do this. Um, And I'm just allowing it to be big and ugly and hard.
0: Is that, maybe I had one there that I, is that kind of, you think then more in terms of of living with grief than you do of overcoming it or fighting it or something? Is that, would you put it that that way or not?
1: I think that there's, there's so many ways to grieve and I would imagine that everybody is different. I will never overcome the loss of my daughter. I don't want to. I want to live this pain because here's, here's what I believe. The pain is so terrible because the love is even greater. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not trying to diminish that. I'm not trying to silence it or mute it or rush it because it is a reflection of how much I love her.
0: Excellent. Oh, my. Um, yeah, uh, you, I guess you've already brought this up now. You, you, one chapter in your book is co- near the end is called Navigate the Darkness. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and in that chapter, I was, I was reading it, and then I couldn't help but think of you in this context. And wondering, cause as you obviously wrote that pre pre this experience and like some of the quotes here are like, you can decide to abandon your goals and self-care during dark times. You can merely survive the dark moments. You can submit to them and let them run your life, or you can choose to thrive in the midst of them. And then finally, ex- excuse me, it's easy to convince yourself that there isn't time or energy for your goals when you're going through something challenging. Now that's an understatement, challenging, yeah. but you can convince yourself that you simply can't take care of yourself when life is hard, but you can. So. What are, you know, I guess the tools are questions. Is that the biggest tools to help you navigate this darkness? Or
1: So I feel like I'm too early in it to say that I feel like there's a lesson in it or I feel like there's a gift in it, you know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what I say about it after six months or after a year. But what I, what I can say is that the grieving and the growing are most beautiful when they happen together. Okay. And that is really hard. You know, I I go for a walk by myself every day now. I've done it for the last 3 or 4 weeks. I didn't for the first couple weeks after she passed, but I've been doing that and honestly, I notice my own resistance to seeing any growth in this. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to see the growth. It's like this stubborn child that's like, no, I just want to be sad. I just want to be mad. And I had similar emotions on, an addition, on, a, on a different emotional plane when I would say things like, I just don't care. I just want to have the ice cream, you know, or we just want to be mad at somebody we love. I recognize that. And then I just remind myself that it's never wrong to choose growth. And it doesn't mean that I'm not grieving, that they can go hand in hand. It's both. And that if I look to grow mentally or emotionally, which as silly as it sounds, I feel like I'm growing when I force myself to make the Brussels sprouts when I don't want to eat, or I feel totally justified in having a pizza because I really don't care if I gain weight right now. I really, really, really don't care. But I think that it's growth in that moment. And the growth doesn't in any way take away from the grief
0: yeah anyway i hear all of that Um, i wonder if you if pre this experience you might have coached somebody in who was grieving in a different way than you would now is there or would you have thought yourself wholly unqualified or what would you have
1: you know it kind of depends on the situation because I've 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 worked with clients when they've lost a parent, you know, and they're and I can I feel like I'm you know can speak to this because I have lost a parent. Yes, right. And I think that I would have taken the same kind of approach of like, even though you feel like you can't, you can. It's going to make it easier if you if you do take care of yourself. It's going to make it harder if you don't. Um, I think having experienced the loss of a child. I would give somebody free reign. I I really would not, I wouldn't counsel them in, maybe I would feel differently again in six months or a year, but right now I would just say, what do you need? And if they say, I need pizza and ice cream, I'll sit here and I will eat pizza and ice cream with you.
0: Right. And I would, I would too. I mean, it's, it's basically, I don't know if you can say or do the right or wrong thing. And certainly the person grieving cannot do the yeah. wrong thing. I don't think um, well, on that. Actually, I'm curious. It is very difficult for people to know how to deal with someone who's grieving, how to help them. Is anybody, what has anybody done or said to you that you found very helpful?
1: So the very hard thing about that is that our daughter died right at the start of this quarantine and shutdown. (sighs) Yeah. So with that said, um, where we live, liquor stores are okay to operate, funerals are not. And so we had the option to either delay the funeral for God knows how long or move it to a different state. We decided to move it to a different state And we could only have 10 people in the church. And that included the funeral director and the priest. Very few people have shown up for us. Like I remember when my dad died, like everybody was there and it was just an outpouring of love and support. And um, it has been a whole nother level of difficulty that basically no one has come to see us. So I can say that what has helped are the very few people who showed up anyway. And there there was one couple who came and brought us a meal on two occasions. And, you know, whatever your views on, on COVID and all of that are, they walked in our door and they said, You're our priority. And they hugged us and they left a meal and they came back the next day and they hugged us and they left a meal. And, um, the only other person that's really done that is my mom Mm -hmm. and, um, be present. If they don't answer your calls, show up and leave a meal on their doorstep, show up and put flowers on their doorstep. The showing up is everything. And I say that probably because no one has been able or willing to really do that for us with just a couple of exceptions.
0: Really? Because of COVID you mean? Yeah. Look at me. I've got my tissue here.
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah, and and I get it. Like I'm not trying to criticize people who are taking those precautions or whatnot. But no, when you've no. just when you've just lost your child, the last thing in the world that we personally have cared about recently is catching a virus. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's not been the priority. And so the the small handful of people who who have shown up for us and and there was another group of people who even though our families didn't didn't come to the funeral um there was a small group of of friends who who drove to the next state and showed up and said even if um we have to sit in our cars then we're just here and we want you to know that we're outside and we'll be out here until you guys come out and um their presence they're just just show up Show up and leave something on the step if they don't let you in, show up anyway, and I think that that is um I have taken that away that I will forever be the person who shows up, no matter what
0: that's right, you know that's what I said about it too um when I was just what or what occurred to me anyway, and I've talked about it since it was just you can't say or do the wrong thing, you just be there, yep, just people send messages, whatever just that was enough, so
1: yeah, yeah,
0: jeez, anyway, well. Um, thank you very much for sharing all that, Elizabeth. And I just, I don't know what it's worth, but I, you know, I felt so sorry since I've known you're coming on and I know about your situation. I thought, you know, I feel like I'm getting to know you a bit by by getting into your work. And I just feel uh, so sorry. I don't know what I can say about it. But thank, anyway, you. You know, thank you. Thank you. Good luck with all of that. Um, I'm you. certainly not going to end like this. I'll just take us somewhere a little more positive, although connected. Sure. Um, it's something that occurred to me originally. Uh, your daughter's name was Dagny. Mm-hmm. Right, and I when I, when I first heard you say her name, the first thing that had occurred to me was Dagny Taggart in Atlas Shrugged. Um, I, I'd never really heard that, but I thought, okay, maybe these Americans—it's pretty popular down there. I don't know. And then I my, I told my friend you're going to be on, and he said he was checking out some stuff. He said, look at that, and I said, what? And he was, and he said, see the name? I, oh yeah, it had already occurred to me. And then. I went on a website and I saw one of an Iran quote. It was, you know, don't let your fire go out, sparked by irreplaceable spark, blah, blah, blah. And it was one of these famous quotes. I said, okay, I'm going to ask her about this because it could be something. And then yeah. later, I went in deeper and I saw a few quotes Dagny Tegger quotes, Atlas Shrugged's my favorite book, my daughter's. And I said, well, it's confirmed now, but I can still ask you about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how much has Iran influ- influenced your life? And I'm going to, yeah, more about Dagny and all that.
1: Yeah, so I didn't really get into um, Ayn Rand's work until probably my early 20s, but I remember when I read Atlas Shrugged, I said, my first daughter will be named Dagny because Dagny is the protagonist in the story who basically says, all the rules be damned, I'm gonna create what I want. And it doesn't matter you know, what the norms are, it doesn't matter who doesn't believe in me, i 'm going to make my way, and she did, and she did it with with great strength and she did it with great poise and um, yeah, some of those some of those quotes from the book just about just about potential that it 's limitless, and that we don 't have to be confined, and we don 't have to conform that we can really create what we want and it matters most when the tide is against us.
0: Well, that's tremendous, and I mean, yeah. I, I imagine uh, just that's what I mean. I would think that too. I want to give my if I had a daughter, I'd want to give her a name that had something that means something to me. I mean, you can get turned yeah. off by names because of people you know, and you're like, I can't name him that. Is that guy? And Degu, yeah. imagine that. Um, how does how does the Ayn Rand's philosophy inform your 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 business and inform your living, your life. Do you see it as a, as a tool for living or?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's a combination of that. And before I studied um, nutrition, I was actually a Latin and Greek major. So the Latin Greek stoic philosophy kind of thing uh, is very much a part of it as well. But fundamentally, I think my belief is one of my affirmations that I use all the time is fear is a liar because I create my results. And I think that that reflects both, you know, Dagny Taggart, both Ayn Rand and Stoic philosophy. And I just think that we're only limited by our thought process, by the way we think, and we're limited by the effort that we put into things. So whatever it is that we're unhappy with, I believe we can create our results and create a difference. And that very much informs the fact that, I think my potential in business is limitless. The fact that I believe that whatever my financial or my personal goals are, that I can achieve them, and it's really more of a decision mm-hmm. than it is a belief. Okay.
0: Well, I mean, Elizabeth, we've done very well here. Um, I wonder if there's anything else you might want to say in general, um, or something that we haven't that I haven't asked you about. I mean, I've got way more things to ask you about, but I've just left them all kind of. Uh, I don't really necessarily want to go back to something for just for the sake of it. Is there something you that, that you really want to say be, before we're wrapping up our topic? I think the you only to thing on? is
1: if if anybody is listening and they doubt their ability to change, or they feel like no, you don't understand. I've tried it so many times. I just know that it's not for me. That is exactly why when you change your mind, you change your results and you change your outcomes. That is your starting point, not your ending point. And I shared this recently on social media that I had a yoga instructor once who was so wise and it's so funny because I'm not a yogi, but I did this 40 day yoga challenge thing and it's like the only time I've ever been to yoga in my life. Um, And uh, she said, tension is the beginning of the pose, not the end. And I think about that in so much in terms of our thoughts, like that resistance that you feel, well, must be nice for you. Like, oh, I'm just not as motivated as you are, or whatever. That is the beginning of your work. That is your starting line. That is not your finish line.
0: All right. And, uh, and I think that, uh, you, like you were just selling this kind of idea and you're the kind of the coach that I think a lot of people need. I was so excited reading your work because it's, it's a lot of stuff that I'm saying, but yet I'm not out on the front lines and dealing with people. And I just feel like I want to refer people to Elizabeth. I think people need to hear more of this because there's way more than what we covered today. Um, I'm going to say, before I uh, tell them where people can look for you, just to the uh, audience, um, if you have any questions uh, about this, uh, this show and specifically for Elizabeth, um, you can go to the Mr. Brightside Facebook page. That's at facebook.com slash Matthew And I don't know if Elizabeth wants to go there and check it out and see what's happening uh, and, and maybe get involved in the conversation. And I'll certainly forward anything that's, directed to you that you really need to, to hear about. Um, and of course, everybody share this episode. Uh, I think, as I was just saying, I think people need to hear Elizabeth. I'm like, I want to tell everybody now, like go read this book and go maybe see what Primal Potential is about because you can change your thinking about, we need, maybe need some help to get direction on how to do that. Uh, and when you do it, there's nothing more powerful uh, than, than a, than a r- refreshed and optimal mindset. Um, Elizabeth, where can people... Find out about you and the work you're doing with clients, Primal Potential, et cetera.
1: The best place is probably the podcast. It's called Primal Potential. It's on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Otherwise, um, you can go to primalpotential.com or social media wise. I kind of spend my time on Instagram at Elizabeth Benton.
0: All right. Well, Elizabeth, uh, thanks very much for coming on. Everybody else, I'll see you later. And Elizabeth, thank you. and, And I hope to talk to you again. Absolutely. Thank you. Mr. Brightside. Your time out to refresh, refuel, and refocus your mind and energy toward building an optimistic framework for flourishing. Life is good. It's up to you to choose the bright side.